0: Hello and welcome to the first ever Blast From Our Past podcast. My name is Adam Spees. My
1: name is John Spees,
0: And we are brothers born in the 80s, love all things 80s and 90s nostalgia. We just kind of want to let you know about us. I am a post-production supervisor out in Los Angeles, California. I've worked in the film and TV and web content industry for the last nine years or so
1: I am a music teacher in Las Vegas I've been teaching music for well over 10 years in some capacity and I currently teach uh, at an elementary school
0: Uh, and as I mentioned before yeah we uh, obviously grew up together as brothers and we loved you know watching shows back in the day and we just kind of realized we wanted to talk about them and, and watch them And see if these hold up. See if we could come back and relive that nostalgia. Nostalgia is so hot nowadays, you know? Every movie is something that has been shown from our kids' days and whatnot. And Hollywood is just eating that shit up.
1: And wanting to remake everything, too. Yes,
0: you have to remake everything. You know, something that you made five years ago, you have to remake again. And so now they're getting into things that we loved as kids. And there's a lot of uh, sensitivity there. It's a lot of stuff that, hell, do I want people to remake these and change my childhood thoughts?
1: Most of what this is going to be about is going to be movies, because that is kind of what we're nostalgic for. Um, We are also going to revisit TV shows, especially from the 80s, cartoons, things that we really, really loved. uh, Or things that, that maybe Adam and I just watched a lot growing up, and it didn't necessarily have to be an 80s or 90s TV show. Maybe it was something older, Uh, That we watched with our parents or something that was just sort of nostalgic for us. And then kind of this little fun little thing that we like doing, uh, which is kind of imagining a recasting of something or casting something that hasn't been shot before. Uh, It's always kind of fun to maybe look at a comic book or a novel and imagine, well, who would they put in this part if they turn this into a movie? Um, or if they were going to redo this movie, who would they use for today's actors? So that's something that we'll probably do at, the, at least at the end of every episode, just for a little
0: fun. Something that John and I have kind of done for a little while now, just for, you know, kicks, is uh, being like, oh man, if you had to cast so-and-so nowadays, who would you put in? And so just uh, kind of a fun little little homage to how they're making new stuff nowadays, or remaking stuff nowadays. Yep. All right, so let's kick things off, starting with The NeverEnding Story from 1984, classic fantasy child's tale uh, from the director Wolfgang Peterson, who, strangely, right before he directed NeverEnding Story, directed Das Boot. Uh, he also directed Outbreak and Troy. So some kind of action-y, drama-filled director is doing this, uh, his first kid's story.
1: Well, he did it well, I will say that.
0: Yes, agreed. So the first thing we hear when we open up this movie and it starts the opening credits is that song. And I think that the never ending Story song is a huge reason as to why this movie got so big. It was just, I can't remember who did it, but man, it just like, just listening to it now, and I'm 31 now, um, it just fills my heart with just joy and clean. <laughs> I just love that song.
1: And it is very 80s, to be sure. Yes,
0: extremely 80s. Brings you back and you're just, you're thrown right back into the 80s life. But you were right. It is, it,
1: is, it is the big announcement that this movie is starting. Anyone who's ever seen this will automatically know it kind of from, from the first few notes.
0: Yeah, I think just rewatching it because that's probably the, one of the things that you remember the most about the movie is that song, and you just like it's it's the first thing that gets you when you're watching it again, and you're just like, boom, you just dive right back into that love, and you're like, okay, I am ready for this journey. Exactly. So open up onto the past credit scene. The first is into the kitchen. We get some exposition that Bastion's mother is dead. Uh, his dad was just kind of. You know, kind of ridiculing him for being a fantasy, you know, pie in the sky, being a, a 10-year-old boy, basically. He's yeah. making fun of his son for being a 10-year-old boy. Also, the dad from Major Dad. Exactly. Loved that show. Gerald McRaney. <laughs> Don't know what he's done since Major Dad, but he's got two big parts of my life. Yes, that might uh, be something we may
1: have to revisit later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember on on USA, I think the rerun's like crazy. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so we get all that exposition of you know, all right, the mother is passed away, and our protagonist, uh, young Bastion, is a bit of a dreamer, like every good kid, like every good kid from the <laughs> '80s. You're gonna, yeah. Also, like every good kid from the '80s, you're gonna have to overcome some bullies, and that's the very next thing <laughs> is we. Established that this kid is a bit of a wimp he gets just ruthlessly attacked by these kids they put him in the trash can he gets out and they put him right they get angry and like why didn't you stay in the trash can you gotta go right back in there and then they start chasing him
1: it is and he is kind of seen as as what in the 80s was the worst thing to be which is a nerd or a yeah geek. oh yeah and it's the, it was the worst thing to be and now it is the best thing to be which i personally love yeah. That I, I feel validated in all of the things I loved is now come around to be mainstream as our generation are the ones who are kind of controlling things that we're seeing in the media and going, you know what, that stuff was good.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's funny. I mean, yeah, comic books, which were known in like the 80s as like the nerdiest of nerd things are now the mecca of of blockbuster films. Mm-hmm. It's taking over all of culture. Comic-Con, which was for nerds, only nerds now, is like one of the biggest events of the year for everybody.
1: Yeah. And, and a lot of people will ask, you know, are we oversaturated with superhero movies? And I say, no, never enough. <laughs> Bring them all. I want, I want a movie for every, every character and every comic book yeah. ever. I'm still waiting for all kinds of, characters. I'm still waiting for my Johnny the Homicidal Maniac movie, which will probably never come, but that was a comic book I enjoyed in my late teens.
0: Never heard of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac.
1: Well, we'll have to go into that later.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So here we are, Bastion's getting chased, and he goes into this perfect, it feels like a massive 80s trope is the weird... Strange bookstore or weird strange store something you kind of like also see in Gremlins and
1: I was gonna say it reminds me very much of the Gremlins opening
0: yes absolutely so he runs in there I in the shopkeeper named Coriander love the actor who did that part he just does a great job he kind of plays a bit of a dick. <laughs> um so <to, laughs> he doesn't like kids he likes books only and he thinks all these kids nowadays you know are losing their imagination, which we'll come back to later uh-huh. because they're not reading books and they're just playing video games so
1: and that actually plays into the author of the original book the neverending story was a guy named michael ende e n d e guy who's German that's why he wrote that book was he thought that hmm kids weren't reading enough books and they were losing their imagination because they were watching TVs and movies and Do you know when
0: that when that book originally came out?
1: 1979.
0: Yeah, not long I mean five years before this movie came right. out. So they but a pretty the, quick turnaround. The
1: English translation didn't come out until nineteen eighty
0: three. Okay, yeah. Uh all right, so he met the bookstore owner. He gives this whole exposition about this interesting book. You're not ready for this book, kid, basically uh, and, of course, Bastion wants it. And I think that's what the bookstore owner wanted the entire time with that kind of sly smile.
1: I was going to ask you if, if if, you, you know, he's, he's playing to the kid,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, thinking, oh, you don't want this book. Knowing that the kid is going to want it because he says he's not supposed to have it.
0: Yes. Yeah, he pushed back and, you know, Bastion pushes back saying, like, no, I've read so many things, Treasure Island, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And, yeah, I, I definitely think the bookstore owner wanted him to take it he was he was definitely egging him on and he was playing up to to the kid because you know we get that scene where he bastion being the ever good kid leaves a note and says i'll bring your book back (laughs) Uh, but that's that's the bookstore owners trying to play off um, and trying to get this kid to to read his book and get more fantasy in his life so then we get to school and bastion doesn't want to take a math test because who the hell wants to take a math test i did but
1: i was a math nerd in school
0: and he sneaks into the coolest fucking school attic I've ever seen in my life.
1: <laughs> I've never, it is, I've never seen yeah. a school with an attic. Before. No, no,
0: exactly. And it is full of like cobwebs and creepy and old like theater props. And I've, yeah, there's no school that has an attic that interesting. <laughs> and then from there, our first step into Fantasia. So he starts reading the book, and the first characters we meet. Are some really out there kind of funky guys. Uh, Teeny Weenie, who I don't even know if they named in the, if you hear his name, but he's the guy, that, uh, Deep Roy, who also played uh, the Oompa Loompas in the more recent Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.
1: Mm-hmm. Also did some uh, body doubling in Lord of the Rings.
0: So he plays the guy who rides the racing snail. We meet the Night Hob. He rides the bat, and then Rockbiter comes, who is a I think a fun, very cool, interesting character in that is our first like real out-of-the-box just larger than life rock who eats other rocks. The puppetry I think is awesome on Rockbiter. I thought I thought that's one thing that I definitely liked in this movie was the puppetry was pretty solid maybe except for <laughs> throughout Gamork and Falcor kind of sucked with their with their puppetry but I liked Rockbiter a lot.
1: Falcor was a guy in a suit but controlling the face were anywhere from 4 to 5 people who were controlling just parts of the face. And so they had to do like a lot of kind of choreography if you will, practicing making the mouth form the words and they had a guy on set who was kind of the linguistic specialist um but he would he would make sure that the mouth was forming the right way for specific sounds and, and words that they were doing. And they would have to choreograph all of these movements together with fortified people using these giant levers to move the different parts of the face on, uh, on each of those kinds of characters, Falcor uh, and Gamorak and, mm-hmm. and Rockbiter, who incidentally uh, – I'm just going to kind of bring this up because we're talking about all those characters – all three of those characters were voiced by the same guy.
0: Yeah, I, I could tell with Falcor and Gamork, but okay, I didn't I didn't realize with Rockbiter.
1: Yeah, and it actually it's the same guy who does the narration. Okay. So the the narrator, Falcor, uh, Rockbiter, and Gamork were all voiced by a guy named Alan Oppenheimer, who is also known for doing the voice of Skeletor. Oh,
0: badass!
1: Skeletor and uh, Man at Arms in uh, in He-Man.
0: Which we will definitely be getting to at some point.
1: Yes, and he's he's a very very prolific voice actor and has been in pretty much every any, anything you've ever seen, cartoon wise. He's probably done something for it.
0: But yeah, so some of the puppetry of the mouse was a little off, but it makes sense. What they have so many people in there. What doesn't make as much sense is how much ADR was done on the human characters' mouths. There are <laughs> times when I look at uh, Teenie Weenie or even Night and they're saying something, and it's completely different. I don't know if they changed characters' names halfway through, and they had to just ADR it instead of reshoot or what. But people's people were just like not mouthing the words that were coming out that I was hearing.
1: I'm pretty sure it was this way with Deep Roy because Deep uh, that the voice does not match kind of how he looks. It's a completely different. I know for a fact that the guy who plays Night Hop is German. Okay, And so, in some of the behind-the-scenes things, you hear him talking, and his, he speaks with a very heavy German accent. So, I'm sure they just voice-overed a bunch of those guys. because This was shot in Germany, and so they used a lot of German actors.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't uh, Deep Roy's voice that was coming out. They got some other British actor or something. Mm-hmm. But that aside, growing up, it didn't bother me one bit. Right. Watching it now, it's a little, like, okay, alright, lacks a little... Uh, production quality there but whatever i'll let it slide but you can
1: forgive because yes. it's such a it's such a good story exactly
0: then we see teeny weeny taking off on the racing snail that was a, a f- awesome little thing there that you didn't really expect and then boom he flies off i love the racing snail i want a racing yeah. snail um <laughs> i mean i want a falcor more but i also want right. <laughs> a racing snail. and so they start heading off they make it to the ivory tower to go see the Empress, who we do not see yet. Uh, Instead, we see this other old guy who tells them that she is dying and they have to go save her. And the only way to save her is to send, enter Atreyu, one of the best heroic child actors ever, in my opinion. I have always had a discussion, I think either with you or with our sister, about who's cooler, Atreyu or Rufio. Like, that's kind of how it goes. Oh, Those are the that's two. A, that's a tough yeah. one. Yeah, like who could win in a fight, Atreyu or Rufio? That's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say I was disappointed. They, keep, they kept bringing up the purple buffalo. Atreyu, who hunts the purple buffalo. I didn't see a single purple buffalo in the entire movie, right. and I really wanted to see that damn thing.
1: Uh, probably something that they uh, put in the script and then realized later that they couldn't do it. And, and uh, <laughs> I know that when they wrote the script, they wrote it knowing that they were going to have to create certain special effects. Like they, they had to invent special effects for this movie, which is kind of a double-edged sword because then you don't know for sure if the quality is going to work. But that is how we go forward and, and how you know things get de- new things get developed – Mm -hmm. is you need people to take the chance on something and say hey we need to figure out how to do this instead of instead of saying well we know this won't work figuring out how to do something so that special effects can go farther and continue nowadays it could be easily done with cgi and Mm -hmm. all kinds of things but i know you i almost wouldn't want them to well i wouldn't want them to remake this
0: yeah i'm certain that they are or it's in development or something um But it's just, it's not going to hold up in my opinion. I mean, right. Yeah, when you can just go back and watch this, it's still a fun story. It's still, I mean, because of the story, because of the music, there's actually, there's really good music throughout it, I feel, or at least like maybe, Mm. maybe it's a nostalgic factor, but it just, it does, it still, I think, grips me. So, yeah. One question is so the old guy, I don't know who he is, the servant of the Empress.
1: Uh, it's a guy named Moses Gunn.
0: Moses Gunn? Was that his character? Moses Gunn. He, he, that's,
1: no, that's the actor's oh, name. Okay. It, uh, I forget. The character's name uh, is like Charon or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just know that uh, Moses Gunn was also known for being a character named Bumpy Jonas in Shaft. <laughs> the original movie Shaft.
0: <laughs> okay. I like it. You have Shaft and never any story on your resume. That's pretty solid. Yep. Um, why does he make Atreyu go without any weapons and without any like teammates and like Atreyu asks, well, is there any chance of success? And it's like, eh, not really. Like <laughs> why, why the hell? It makes no sense why he can't take his weapons. Like why he yeah. can't only, uh, he can take the necklace.
1: Yeah. And I can only imagine that is it, it. Cause I have never read the book that maybe it's something that's more explored in the book. Or maybe they had it, you know, in the script but had to cut it out. I would hope that they'd thought about that because it does seem a little arbitrary of, yeah, by the way, you can't take anything with you. <laughs>
0: exactly. It's like they're setting him up for failure, but, oh well, I guess we have to just accept it and ride along with him. So we have a Atreus starting off. Great music that kind of accompanies him while he's riding Artex. This is our first time seeing Artex, the horse.
1: Yeah, the score is great in this movie.
0: Yeah, and so... They get going, and then from there we see Gamork starting off. We've got our hero going off to journey, and now the villain is sending off his bad guy, which is Gamork, the servant of the power behind the nothing. Gamork, scary as fuck.
1: Yes, especially when you are, you know, six and seven years old watching this. And I, I did show this movie to both of my kids who are seven and four, and they were... Not happy when any time Komark was on screen. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. He was definitely a terrorizing figure that I remember from my childhood. Like he left an image, just like you know. He, I know he was basically just a wolf, but you don't see much all of him until like the very end, right? Where you see the end, the rest of his body, but like just that that face and like his. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's robotic movements because it's the puppetry, but like his the voice actor did a great job. Yeah, as you said, that guy. He was one of those characters that just, you know. He ruined lives.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scene, especially um, that we'll talk about later when, when Atreyu finally confronts him, is one, probably what I thought was the one of the scariest mm-hmm. in this movie, just from the intensity of it.
0: There are three scary-as-fuck moments in this movie, and we will get to each one of them. Okay. One other great use of just cinematography and direction that they did with Gamork is a lot of first person shots. Mm-hmm. Very similar to Jaws, where you're kind of like you become the animal as the audience, and you're just you're running through the forest, you're clearing through these bushes, trying to you're like uh, hunting betray right. you, and you're seeing through his eyes. And it's it's just it's a good use of that where you see the scary thing, but then you become the scary thing to an extent and you just kind of see through his eyes it's really i thought it enhanced just how intense gamork can be
1: and a great way of portraying the character without us physically seeing him like in jaws yeah he was scarier because you didn't see him that much
0: yeah we only really see his head for the most of the time uh, for gamork here and i think that worked so much better because everything else was shrouded in darkness yeah we get a little cut back to bastion he is still up in the attic and he's about to eat his lunch and i oh i remember as a kid thinking this was a stupid scene and again as an adult i think this is a stupid scene (laughs) where the kid is starting to eat his lunch and then he says no not too much he's got to save some (laughs) for later (laughs) it's like what was the point of that it it really doesn't come back to do anything for us it was a unnecessary cut other than showing i guess bastion is intelligent or he he's good at uh you know holding back he's not i don't know it's right. stupid
1: or maybe it was just some way to bring us back into reality to realize that oh yeah we're we're taking this journey with bastion mm-hmm. as opposed to just showing us fantasia for most of the rest of it i guess they felt like they had to break it up but yes it all in all the scene itself doesn't really <laughs> doesn't make any sense yeah. doesn't go anywhere doesn't come back later yes
0: Exactly. So then we kind of get back to Atreus is going and then Gamork is really not far behind. And then we cut into the swamps of sadness. We, I can't believe we're already there. We're like barely we're like 30 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's the swamps of sadness scene, which scarred a generation <laughs> of children. Great scene though. Yes, it I is. I love this scene. I mean, as watching, rewatching it as an adult, I-, I thought it was a very interesting thing. Like, I like that they kind of dive into the depression, <laughs> depression of a horse. Right. But it really sets our hero down in the dumps. Like he can't, he can't get out of this. Yeah. I Think it might have been honestly a little bit more effective later on in the movie, Mm -hmm. if he had to struggle and struggle. And then really, this was like the penultimate, you are screwed moment. Right. That would like, really, and then he overcame it. This, this we get so much earlier than I remember.
1: Yeah. And as a kid, you know, I watched it. That's the particular scene where the, we're talking about where the horse drowns, essentially.
0: Sorry. Yeah. We didn't bring it up. (laughs) Yeah. When the horse drowns itself from being so sad. So
1: sad. Yeah. As a kid, I remember seeing it and thinking, Oh, well, it's sad. The horse is dying. As an adult, <laughs> I go back and watch it, and I'm just, like, tears. Yeah. Because the... the I think the kid's name is Noah Hathaway, the one who plays Atreyu, uh-huh. just does a super job of just the, kind of portraying the despair of the moment yes. and how upset he is. And now I watch it, and I'm even... I'm more
0: sad than I was before. It was scarring then, but it really sinks in deep now. Yes. Granted, Atreyu later on in the movie he ends up like screaming half of his lines but in in this moment it is so necessary and you're so you're sad but you're pissed off that that horse just doesn't just doesn't understand that it needs to be happy to get out of that damn swamp and it won't do it and so you're 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 with atreyu you are you're crying you are screaming get the fuck up you stupid horse (laughs) like all of that yeah and it's it's so good.
1: and uh, sort of aside, they had to work with those horses for months to train them not to freak out when the water was rising up.
0: It had to I, was, I mean just re-watching it like how the hell does that horse not go nuts because it's like all the way up to like the top of its neck.
1: Yeah, basically. no it, yeah, they said they worked uh, for months training the wow. horses just not to just not to freak out. And you can almost see the panic in the horse's eyes.
0: Yes, so great scene. After that dip to black, we come back, the horse is completely submerged, he's drowned, it's gone, terrible. The friend of the journey is now out of it, and we gotta keep going, and we have to get to Morla, who is the ancient one who we think might have the answers to stop the nothing. And I hated Morla as a kid. I thought Morla was so annoying and stupid, I still kind of think that. The sneezing thing was just so annoying to me. Like I hate Morla's voice. I hated Morla's voice. This sort of
1: nasally but, sound. Yeah. The first time I saw it, and I can't remember what, at what age I first saw it, and whether or not we saw it together. The first few times I saw it, that turtle actually scared me. Mm, yeah. I was terrified of it because it, it is a little bit sort of creepy, this giant turtle. For me, that was actually one of the scarier moments. I don't know why. I was I was a wimpy kid, I guess.
0: <laughs> but one of the most important parts of the Morla scene is this is the first time Bastion kind of creeps into Fantasia when he screams from seeing Morla, and they hear his voice. Yes. And that's the first time that that happens, and that's obviously very important for the story. Yeah, so we have the stupid sneezes, a ancient turtle who has gone nuts from talking to itself and really the turtle does nothing other than say oh i don't know the information you need to go to the southern oracle to know that information (laughs) so kind of annoying yeah but extends the journey so then we have to go do that we have a cut back to bastion he's back at school He's just kind of doing more, reading more, just like bringing us back into the world of, mm-hmm. a Bastion's going along with you, but what I want to talk about is a great edit. The wolf head prop comes and falls down in front of Bastion, and he gets scared, and then they immediately cut from the wolf head prop to a very quick shot of Gomork mm-hmm. and then from Gomork to Atreyu, and it's just, it works really well, obviously, the symbolism of the wolf head, and then straight, obviously, to Gomork or the wolf, mm-hmm. and then... Cutting to his prey Atreyu. Mm-hmm. Like all of that very quick editing, but it worked really well, in my opinion.
1: Almost as if Bastion is Atreyu.
0: Ooh, almost as if that. Exactly. He's getting hunted by the wolf head, then the wolf head is hunting him Atreyu. Huh. Will that come back? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it or maybe enough? not. We'll find yeah. out. Yeah, we'll find out. So we come back to Gamork is in the swamps of sadness. He is right behind Atreyu, basically hunting him down. And another kind of sad moment here. Atreyu it seems to be just about giving up. He's he's getting swallowed by the swamp. And then out of the clouds comes our next big awesome entrance of. Falcor
1: Falkor!
0: Fal- <laughs> he uh, comes sweeping out from the clouds and scoops up in a not very beautifully shot scene, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. But still, we get Atreyu up into the air and now we have
1: And just in the nick of time, out of the uh, yes. claws of Gamork.
0: Yes. Yep, right out of the claws of Gamork. We now just get a glimpse of whatever the heck that was. Right. We then cut to Atreyu waking up mm-hmm. and he's surrounded by this big dog dragon thing? What the heck is that? We don't really know if it's friend or foe, even though we all kind of know it's friend because of his music and his right. colors. He's a nice shining white. So we're as the as the audience like we're already pretty friendly with Falcor. And boy is Falcor a bit cheesy, <laughs> but love him. Absolutely. I'm mm-hmm. I'm already like in I'm in with Falcor. I love him. He's the savior of Atreyu. He is a luck dragon. Whatever the heck that means,
1: whatever that is, yes, yes.
0: But what really ties him is again the voice acting. You just love Falcor because he's got a very friendly voice. He's cheerful. He's happy. He's just the big flying dog that we've never had.
1: And kind of, I hesitate to use the term comic relief. Oh uh, yeah, but uh, he is kind of the comic relief. Yes, and it's
0: bit. much needed after the swamp scene. Just in general, yes. all of it. You know, something lighthearted um, and funny yes. and. Exactly.
1: Kind of reminds me. I don't know if you ever saw the uh, series uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. I
0: have not. I know. I know. I should because I've heard it's great. Okay.
1: There's a there's a big kind of furry something on there. I think the character's name is Appa doesn't talk it's just an animal but it is kind of the same thing and i wonder if they maybe modeled the idea off of that where it's kind of a a comic relief thing but does serve a purpose
0: No, he's constantly laughing and that kind of lightens our mood as well and here he's taken atreyu 9831 miles or whatever it is close to the southern oracle we are basically there he did all the work we kind of just skipped ahead. <laughs>
1: I know it did. It did seem a little bit weird that all of a sudden, oh hey, we're almost there.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we it was, we we learned that it's going to be a ten thousand mile journey and it's going to be near impossible, and then oh, flip of a switch, we're there.
1: It's like the eagles in Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah. Oh, just oh, I have. I'm going to come back to that as well. <laughs> um, like
1: why, why wasn't Falcor at the meeting? And it could have just blown a train. Yes, straight exactly to there.
0: Exactly. Why the hell couldn't Falcor just fly over the stupid first guardian, uh, the Sphinxes, and just like, skip all of that terrifying scene as well? Right. Um, but, so, anyway, uh, we also meet, was it, Engie Book and Engel? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the little, elvishy kind of looking people.
1: Yeah, kind of almost gnomish.
0: Yeah, gnome, yes. Yes, uh, he's an expert on the southern arc. I like him a lot. You know, I like their dynamic. They're an old married yes. couple, obviously. She's like a potions magician person, witch, and he is a scientific man. Uh, it just, their dynamic is awesome. It, it reminds me very much of Billy Crystal in Princess Bride. Yeah, it's it's very similar, but the it's a The couple. Yeah, absolutely love him. He keeps calling her Wench. I love it. And then, you know, at the, he, at the end of that scene, he's like, to the wench, wench! And I'm just like, it's fucking great. It's great. Uh, some good dialogue. But yeah, he's uh, he kind of tells Atreyu about the, the couple obstacles he has to get through to go meet the Southern Oracle. And the first one is the two sphinxes that, as we see from their telescope, a gallant knight come in to go cross it. And, uh these terrifying laser eyes come and shoot this guy off um, i also want to say the sphinxes might have been my first sight of boobies in movies <laughs> i remember they had massive perky boobies <laughs> uh, yeah
1: yes in 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 the, in the age of having to actually if you wanted to find something like that you either you either had to uh, uh, find someone to buy you something, yes. or or buy or buy a National Geographic. Yes,
0: yes. I was too young uh, for them to do anything for me as a kid. But rewatching them now, I'm like, wow, those are some big boobies on the on, <laughs> on the sphinxes. Like, holy moly!
1: Yes, they, yeah, they were, <laughs> and seemed a little out of place for such a you know a kid-centric yes, movie.
0: Absolutely. Even though I
1: know, even though you know they're an, an inanimate object, mm-hmm. it did seem a little. Weird.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. Just watching it now. Maybe as a kid I didn't didn't notice it or whatnot, but
1: Oh, I noticed <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you were a little older than me. Um, yes. so then we cut to a who's gonna go do it, and then it in one cut, he is right in front of the obstacles, and he jumps like 100 miles. <laughs> did, you, did, that, did anyone else... Did you notice that? Like, yes. Falcor says, oh, I only took you 9,830-something miles to it, and then he's, and then Atreus says, I'm going to do it. Then, boom, next cut, he's right in front of him. Like, damn, that... Kid is fast.
1: I'm sure it's the editor's going. We don't need to see him walking down no. there.
0: <laughs> Hell no, absolutely. So it's fine. You know, you can you can go along with it. And though here we get to what I would say is the second scariest fuck scene. The first being Artex drowning. This one being, my opinion, the next very scary scene where Atreus starting to go th- past the sphinxes. He thinks you know he can do it. He's confident, and then he gets scared, mm-hmm. and then. Engie brook is watching him from his telescope and kind of narrating a little bit of what's going on and we are just the eyes are like they're gonna start to open and we're like oh my Mm. god atreyu's fucked he is dead (laughs) he's not gonna make it no he's he's doubting himself he doesn't have the confidence to get through it and so yeah here i'm just like those two big boobied sphinxes are going (laughs) to destroy him with their evil laser eyes
1: There's nothing scarier than Big (laughs) Boobie sphinxes with laser eyes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not for like a, you know, seven-year-old kid. Yeah, exactly. So at the last second, he jumps and runs through and dives past (laughs) them, and he makes it past, which I always thought was weird. To me, it's still kind of, it feels like maybe Atreyu wasn't the actual proper hero and he just kind of got lucky through it. Right. I feel like if he was the right person, the eyes wouldn't have even opened. But, right. I don't know
1: exactly. <laughs> Did kind of remind. It kind of makes me think of. Even though this movie was later, it kind of makes me think of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last
0: Crusade.
1: Oh yeah, the you know the penitent man shall pass. <laughs> the pen,
0: penitent man penitent penitent man pen, penitent. penitent man is humble before God. Penitent man kneels before God. <laughs> <Sorry>. Kneel. Kneel. <laughs> uh, There's going to be many tangents. Yeah, On in, yeah. in
1: our recordings, exactly. It's just, it's just going to happen. It's
0: yep. You know, you're just gonna have to sit through it, talk about one thing, and you're reminded of something else, and you have to go out on that tangent. So, all right, he gets through it, and then there's the next, uh, according to Engiebrook, is the even more dangerous obstacle of the mirror of self, or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. Honestly, this one was a joke in the movie, like, it wasn't scary at all. Mm -hmm. Atreyu goes through it super fast. One, he sees Bastion in the mirror, so he sees kind of himself. So we're right. coming coming back to it, just like that editing did for us earlier. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's, oh, he's that person. Interesting. That wasn't scary at all. Right. And he just kind of walks through the mirror. Boom. Done. And,
1: uh, and oddly enough, uh, in the span of who knows how far, we go from what looks like a desert landscape mm-hmm. to a blinding blizzard. Yes. And we don't really know how far he had to walk yeah. in order to get there, but it did seem like such a sudden change for such a small and then ends up going back to what looks like the desert.
0: Yes, which I can only imagine this is because of budgetary reasons that we see the two fucking sphinxes again <laughs> but now this time they're blue, no, they're blue. Uh, <laughs> and they don't have the mountains around them. They're just in a deserty kind of spot. My only thought is they were running out of money and they couldn't afford the actual southern oracle so like, fuck it, we'll just use the sphinxes again. Um, yeah. I, w- yes. I wouldn't
1: be able to say without having actually read the book. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So then we start talking to the Southern Oracle, who tells us about, obviously, more about the nothing, and to save everybody from it, all you had to do was name the Empress. That's it.
1: Which seems like such a weird, arbitrary thing. Yeah. But, I mean, names it's, are important. It's Yeah,
0: <laughs> sure. It's a, <laughs> it's a fantasy story. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll allow it. But it can't be named by a treyu. It has to be named by a human child. But we have a human child here. Bastion.
1: Which I guess really plays into the fact that it the whole thing is about imagination. Yeah. And that you need a child to imagine what the princess's name is. Because the, the, the child has to create this all in their imagination. Mm-hmm. So it I I can see why that would be important if, if that if imagination is the theme, having Bastion sort of create continue to create the world is what's creating it. Cause I, what's killing the world is that kids aren't imagining anymore. Yep. And so that, that that's is what, yeah, is that's why
0: is
1: Although yeah. when you're seven and eight years old, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very true. Uh, so, but Bastion kind of like throws out, Oh, my mother had a great name. So that's the first kind of inclining. Oh, I bet he's going to name her his mother's name. And so we have Falkor, and Atreyu flying, I guess, heading back to the Ivory Tower. They're trying to make their way there. Uh, and then the nothing strikes. The nothing is hitting him. Big storm. Falcor can't hold Atreyu on. Atreyu drops from out of the sky off of Falcor, And then we see him landing basically into a beach. And they, they're trying to find each other. They don't know where they are. And we get to this beach kind of near these ruins. And we meet Rockbiter who has one of the most depressing speeches I've ever seen on film. He starts it off with his hands. his They look like good, strong hands. They look like big, good, strong hands, don't they? I always thought that's what they were. And... You're like okay. I might think
1: that that line gets quoted more uh. to anyone I ever talk to about this movie <laughs> than any any other line in this movie. There's there's a lot of you know possibly quotable lines, but the one about these are the big strong you know mm-hmm. these look like big strong hands. That's the one I hear the most. Yeah, which does seem a little weird, but
0: definitely. But I mean, from that you discern that he was trying to hold on to the night hob and teeny weenie and the bat and the snail. And the nothing took him away from him. They just ripped him from his hands, basically. And that's how powerful the nothing is. Exactly. But that was scary as shit. Like, I don't think I really understood that as a kid. But now, I'm like, holy fuck. Like, that was that was a depressing scene. And then he ends it again, talking about his hands and saying, I'm just going to sit here yeah. and let the nothing take me. Like, well, and he's, <laughs> he's
1: seen the power of the nothing. Yeah. And- if it can rip them from his hands, there's nothing he can do to stop it. So he's just going to mm-hmm. sit there and let it take him away. And, I mean, we've all felt that that hopeless feeling at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. But to see it in a kid's movie.
1: I know, to see it in a kid's movie. <laughs> but that's the 80s for you. There's a lot of things in the 80s kids' movies that I don't think they would ever put in movies today. Well,
0: it's a good scene. I mean, rewatching watching yeah. it now, I like it. Good scene for sure. It's interesting. Shows some acting prowess, the voice acting and whatnot.
1: Well, and it does, after we've kind of had these horror moments, we do need to kind of have the sort of, the big sort of moment before the storm hits. Yes,
0: we, you know, have been going on this journey, and we see Atreyu getting closer and closer, and so we're all kind of hopeful. Now he knows what he's got to do, and so now we're kind of brought back to, there's, you can't stop the nothing. Mm -hmm. It's coming, it's bigger and stronger than... Rockbiter. It's going to just destroy everything, and there's nothing even Atreyu can do about it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of brought us back down a little bit, but that was probably good, because we had a lot of hopeful moments recently. Right. So we get into the ruins, and it, it's the story of the never-ending story. We see these murals that have kind of all the journey that Atreyu has gone on. It's basically, I guess it's representing the book mm-hmm. to an extent, and then it ends on a mural of Gomorrah in the shadows quick turn boom there's Gamork in the shadows like behind these rocks and then here comes the third scariest shit moment in my opinion from this movie (laughs) so we had artex dying in the swamp of sadness we had the scary sphinx laser eyes sorry i apologize Mm -hmm. scary big boobied sphinx laser eyes (laughs) and now we have Gamork in these ruins surrounded by shadow who gives like this evil just performance that scares mm-hmm. the crap out of you as a kid.
1: And I, I will I've got to give props to the puppeteers because that's to me what made him scary was his expression. Very dramatic. The sort of the widening of the eyes as he's saying mm-hmm. some of these lines and the like snarl that comes on his face and There was a
0: great line where he talks about the nothing and then people who who don't have the what? dreams are easy to because control. people who
1: have no hope are easy to control and whoever has the control has the bar
0: and his eyes gets crazy his <laughs> snarl gets big yeah and it's like that's the moment that i was like oh my god i am afraid of this puppet wolf <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely great speech and and interaction between the two of them. We learn he was hunting Atreyu. He doesn't know because he wasn't expecting a child. And so Mm -hmm. he doesn't know it's Atreyu right away. And then Atreyu says, hey, buddy, I'm Atreyu. Come at me, bro. Um,
1: (laughs) In so many words. Yeah.
0: And then the fight that we've been waiting for the entire movie between our hero and our villain is over in a split second right it's nothing i
1: also wonder because you know we just had this moment of hopelessness with rockbiter do you think that you know trey was just sort of like just kind of like you know what well he even says it. he says we're gonna die anyway exactly i'd rather die going out doing what i love yes so he just kind of has this fuck it moment where he's just
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know what let's let's dance let's just get this over with
0: (laughs) yeah i agree good dialogue I just wanted a bit of a fight and it's very anticlimactic because Gmork leaps at him. He stabs him in the heart and that's that. And we don't even see the stabbing. We just see the leap and then we we cut to the dead, dead Gmork. And,
1: and, you know, maybe you could, you could attribute that to the limitations of the effects at the time. And if they were to redo it, obviously it would be a lot more CGI.
0: There'd be a big action scene there for sure.
1: Yeah. But, uh, I did. I don't know. It maybe didn't bother me as much.
0: I mean, as a kid, it really didn't bother me because the scene—the scene right before he leaps—is that that discussion was where the drama was.
1: Yes, at that point, I think you're just ready for it to be over. Yeah, like, okay, <laughs> I'm 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 done with Mr. Wolfie here. I'm mm. I'm, I'm ready to be out of this cave.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So now we have Deadmork, and Falcor is now under the sea. He picks up the Orin that was dropped by Atreyu from from his fall. How did he know exactly where the amulet Orin was? No clue. It's magic. Whatever. It's magic. And then Falcor saves the day again, picks up Atreyu, and they're trying to rush to the ivory tower. But in that flying, Fantasia is basically swallowed up by the nothing and it's blown to bits. Yeah. We have just flying and nothing is—it's magic, so we don't have to worry about atmosphere. Even though, as uh, watching it now, was like, how are they breathing? <laughs> They're in space.
1: But <laughs> oh, and the interesting thing about the the sort of the nothing blowing it away,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how they did that was they had the whole set on this tilter, and the the camera was stuck on it too, so the the camera when the, when the stage moved, the camera moved too, so you don't notice it. Hmm. But they have fans blowing. And then the entire stage goes from horizontal to vertical. Oh yeah. And so what you see is someone hanging on to
0: a tree. That person had a terrible Atreyu wig. Like it was so <laughs> obvious that it was a stunt double in a bad right. wig, in a but bad <laughs>
1: But that's that's how they do it. And you see all the stuff blowing away, it's actually the set pieces falling okay. as the set tilts to a vertical. That's cool. And then they also had fans blowing, so that's how you, you get a wind effect and stuff like that. So it is a cool practical effect. Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely.
1: Especially when you see the when you see video of the actual practical effect rotating. Mm-hmm. It looks really cool and, and just kind of a great way of how to make something like that happen mm-hmm. in a practical way. Cause who knows if they would actually do that practically nowadays, or if they
0: would just try to do it. Fans and CG yeah, only just get yeah. CG boulders going by. So yeah, definitely cool. So Fantasia is getting destroyed and then comes the moment we've all been waiting for. Bastion eats the second half of his sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, uh, that scene from before. Completed. Yes. The scene that I had before it now comes full circle. He finishes this damn sandwich. Um, yeah. Uh, Do we know
1: what that was? <laughs> what was it like a ham and cheese, uh, egg salad?
0: It looked, it looked peanut butter jelly to me.
1: Peanut uh, butter jelly, okay. yeah
0: <laughs> So yeah, we can have a whole discussion on just the sandwich. That that. <laughs> what kind of sandwich would Bastion eat? Hmm, if I was a daydreamer hmm. like Bastion. Yeah, we have that, and then we get back into the story. Just kind of like a, hey, Bastion's still here, still eating that damn sandwich. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's get back into Fantasia now. Uh, they make it. They see that the ivory tower wasn't blown up completely. It's on this floating rock kind of thing. and
1: In the middle of space. In the, the middle of, of space. breathe in.
0: Yep. And we go to meet the childlike empress. We are like an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. And we finally meet this childlike empress that we've been hearing about so much. Who what the fuck knew everything the entire time.
1: Yep. Yeah. And that <laughs> was played by Tammy Stronach. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but who essentially this was her only film. Okay, this is the only thing she's done. I think on IMDb it showed mm-hmm. that it was a movie she did a couple years ago where she played something. But she's been a professional dancer and I think owns a dance studio.
0: Oh, okay. And that's
1: that's what she's done. But as far as I know, this is her only movie.
0: Gotcha. I mean, and this is an iconic—the image of the childlike empress with kind of like the pearls on her head, kind of thing. Like, right? Yeah. Like she was such an iconic figure I guess for childhood pop culture that's interesting that she wouldn't be doing other stuff mm-hmm. but yeah so she knew everything all along but Atreyu had to go on his journey because the only way to bring the human child is to go on this journey to basically write the book that would be read by Bastion who was reading it and then she gives this great fourth wall break speech where she's talking about not just is Bastion reading about us but they have people watching Bastion reading about us and it's like (laughs) holy shit she's talking about me yes she's talking about me as a viewer and it's very interesting just it seems like unnecessary, but I thought really kind of interesting moment because yeah. the whole movie is about Bastion being a part of this book because he's reading it and because he's on the journey. But then we're also a part of Bastion's story and a part of the never ending story in right. uh, Fantasia because we're on it now, too.
1: And she does this sort of great, like slow look towards the camera. Yes. And you know that she's looking through the camera at Bastion, mm-hmm. but at the same time you think she is talking to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because
1: whereas Bastion is a you in his imagination, I'm sure we all do this, where as you're if you're reading a story or watching, well, probably more if you're reading a story, mm-hmm. you kind of almost imagine yourself as the hero. Exactly. And that's Bastion is imagining himself as a you. We as the audience are imagining ourselves as Bastion.
0: Yeah, but I absolutely love the direction to just have her look straight into the camera. It works really, really well. Yeah. And then she's basically saying, you have to call my name. You have to call my name. And gets very, you know, crying. And Atreus kind of yelling at her back and forth with some other stuff. And she's trying to provoke Bastion, who is afraid to say it because it's just a book. They can't understand me. Right. But they do understand you. And then he opens up the window and he screams something which I could not understand at all. Did you understand the name?
1: No, I didn't understand the name. I had to look it up. (laughs) <laughs> oh well I know in the book the name he screams out is Moonchild. Yes,
0: Moonchild. That's what I that's what I read as well, which apparently that's that has to be the name of his mother because he brings that up earlier like it would make no sense for it not to be the name of his mother. Who the hell was named Moonchild? Ah, like, a bunch
1: of hippies.
0: <laughs> damn damn hippies invading my nostalgia. Damn tree-hugging hippies. Interesting. I never would have thought Major Dad would marry a hippie, <laughs> uh, but he did. Yeah, it does seem a little odd. Yes. Major Dad... Well, to be, I,
1: yeah. to be fair, if the kid's name is Moonchild, it's really the parents yeah, who were the hippies. Because they named the kid Moonchild. Yes,
0: so... Which doesn't work on the timeline at all, but... Right. Whatever. So... We get him screaming Moonchild, and then we cut to black, basically, where it's now just the Empress and Bastion with the last grain of sand in all of Fantasia. And we get a beautiful little speech of, it's all about your imagination, and you can rebuild this, and he's still a little scared and doesn't understand it, but keep using your imagination and dream big and all that kind of stuff that his dad told him not to do right <laughs> don't listen to your parents kids that's what that's never right. ending story tells you
1: right unless my kids are listening Yeah. <laughs> listen to your
0: parents so she yes he can get any wish he wants and the first dream that he has is probably the dream that every 80s kid wants i want to ride Falcor. Yes. <laughs> and he, he takes Falcor, riding him through fantasia Great score in the background again. The same themes are coming back. Speaking of riding Falcor,
1: and I don't know if it's still there, but I read that it was. At one point, there is a animatronic Falcor in Germany. Oh. Somewhere that I think you can ride. I think it's a ride.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I
1: don't, I, I have to look, I, yeah. I have to, I'd have to look up more on it because That'd I cannot, be cool. uh, I, yeah. I, but I remember reading that there is one somewhere in Germany.
0: That would be badass.
1: I need that in my life. Yes,
0: exactly. He gets to ride Falcor, uh, and then we get a scene that brings it all back around from the one of the early scenes of the bullies. And those jerk bullies now get terrorized through the streets <laughs> by a big dog dragon, and they end up having to save themselves in the exact same, exact trash, can same trash can that they put Bastion in earlier.
1: Interesting... I kind of interesting, and this this is where books and movies are, are different, and, and and kind of all of the almost bureaucracy that goes along with that. So the last scene in the movie with Bastion like wanting to be on Falcor is not in the book. Mm. It's the only scene in the movie that's not in the book, mm. and it was because they they weren't I guess they weren't happy with how it was ending, mm-hmm. and so they they wanted a little bit more of a happier ending. So they brought Bastion into the world of Fantasia by having him ride Falcor. The author of the book, Michael Ende, hated the idea and actually took the filmmakers to court to try to stop the movie and actually lost because at that point this was the most expensive movie ever shot in Germany. Oh okay. At wow. something like 60 million francs or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so he the author lost. So I, I don't think the author was very, probably a little distant because they, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, if it's something that you've built that you, you know, something you've created and you want them to stay true to it. And his his argument was that by doing this, they were turning it into a Disney movie. Mm. He's like, you're turning this into a Disney movie. And they were like, yeah. yes, <laughs> that's, that's really what more, we're trying to that do. That's sweet Disney money. Yeah, <laughs> sweet Disney money. You know, that happy ending. Well, I'm and, glad.
0: I'm glad he lost because just as the way you put it before, like we see ourselves as Bastion. We all want to ride Falcor, yeah. and he gets to. And I like, love that.
1: And you know what? I don't think – it. You, you have to understand the medium, and, and film cannot do what books can do. Yeah. And you need to make the you – know, you, you need to make it work for a, a wide audience. And I think two authors – who did a great job of having their material go to film? Actually, there are two authors who were closely involved in them, and one of them is William Goldman, who wrote the Princess Bride. Mm. He also wrote the screenplay for oh, it, so nice. he he did his own screenplay and wrote the book. And you know, I've read the book. I'm not going to lie; I prefer the movie. Okay, uh, the book uh, the book goes into a uh, few different places and it's a it's kind of a weird book in the way that it's structured but i prefer the movie there and i would say george rr R. martin because mm. his books are de- have deviated from the way that the series has gone on game of thrones but he's been heavily involved yeah and i i actually i'm enjoying it and to the mm-hmm. point where i can keep them separate i can have the book series as one and the the, the video series as one
0: definitely uh so That was never any story. Uh, I guess to wrap it up, I want to say I felt that movie was definitely rewatchable. I don't know if it's a movie that if you didn't watch as a kid, you would like now because I showed it to my wife and she hated it. (laughs) But for me, just because I grew up with it, like rewatching it, I think it holds up. Yes. and I could see myself watching it again as an adult even later
1: well and did your wife say what she didn't like about it
0: <laughs> no there's she just hates everything
1: <laughs> okay I was gonna say she is a very picky person yes. as far as yes. what she watches this, so this that, is not the we're not going to a...
0: trash my wife podcast no 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 no,
1: no. <laughs> but but I mean that would that's it's not it's almost not a not fair comparison yeah no but because she yeah. is she's into what she's into and yeah 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 and if she didn't Grow up with it. That no, yeah, if she can didn't grow up perfectly. Up with it, understand absolutely,
0: but like this is a movie. If I ever have kids, that I would 100% show them. Maybe when they're a little older, so they don't get too scared of the right. Mork and the Sphinxes uh, and Artex's death. But like, absolutely great movie. I think, and and yeah. it holds up. It's just a lot of fun. The voice acting is really, I think, where they shines in. It shines strong. Some really good direction with some of the shots that they chose and things like that. So. Yeah, uh, I, I am a NeverEnding Story fan for sure.
1: Yeah, I would say it does still hold hold up. And, you know, as you get older, you go back and watch some of this stuff and think, is it going to hold up? Is it as magical as I remember? And you know what? You can go back and you can nitpick mm-hmm. little things like, uh, well, this, you know, doesn't really look as realistic. Or, you know, they could have done this better, yeah. <clears throat> it's CGI. Fal- Fal- but CGI. Falcor flying.
0: <clears throat> Falcor flying. Fal-Cur flying. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. That was the worst special effects in the entire movie was right. Falcor flying. <laughs> like when you see like though just the the wide long shots of him like the right. up close one you know he's too tight to actually see his body but like the front right. bad green screen all around
1: well and they were filming this movie literally right after they invented blue screen mm, okay yeah. so they so used used, blue they were using blue screen mm-hmm. for this which had not really been used before gotcha that's kind of a cool thing cause that, that's another thing of sort of pushing the envelope mm-hmm. as far as you know trying to get special effects okay I, I mean because if you think about it if you go back and you watch like a movie like tron the original tron yeah nowadays because I, when i taught a um a film appreciation class at the high school i was teaching at i would i showed both tron movies the old one and the most recent one and whatever you want to say about the story of tron the latest tron which for the life of me i cannot remember yeah. what the the subtitle of legacy
0: Tron legacy. Legacy.
1: Yeah. Tron legacy. Um, the special effects in it were very good. Oh yeah. And and I would show, I showed the original to the, to my students and going, listen, you're going to watch something that's going to look horrible to you, but you've got to remember that at this time, nobody had done anything like this. Mm -hmm. This is how the envelope gets pushed and you have to kind of, you kind of have to forgive sometimes bad special effects in older movies knowing that what it's leading to. Mm-hmm. But it's, yes, to me, the never-ending story still hold up. I have shown it to my children. And I will say this about movies from the uh, you know, older movies especially, but especially kind of those iconic 80s kids movies. The pace of these movies is sometimes slower. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes kids today, like I know my kids well, with all the stuff they watch, they're just used to a much faster paced thing. And so you really have to get them to set down and it might be something that they'll appreciate more when they get a little bit older maybe
0: you have to give them the the clockwork orange to just sit and watch your movie
1: (laughs) no but i mean like if i go back if i wait till they're maybe like preteens, you Mm -hmm. know 10 11 12 and i show them this movie again Mm -hmm. they'll be able to kind of appreciate it more sit through it more then you know now obviously my my son probably understands a little bit more because he's seven but Mm -hmm. my daughter's four so all she says is all she sees is a big white doggy. <laughs> uh,
0: yes. So. Okay. But yes, right. classic still holds up. Yeah, definitely.
1: All right, so now let's talk about some TV shows from, from our childhood. And today let's talk about Thundercats.
0: Ooh, Thundercats.
1: Ho. Oh, yeah, ho. <laughs> <laughs> I went back and watched a few episodes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too.
1: And I know that they redid the series. 2000, I think it was 2011. Oh, yeah, 2011, yeah, eleven and twelve. I
0: didn't watch any uh, of those.
1: I did not watch any of that either. So I just went back to the original one. Uh, I watched the fir- I watched a, cu- a couple of episodes from the first season, and then I watched one from a later season.
0: Did, did you watch episode one by chance? I did. I did watch oh my uh, God. Exodus. I believe. Yeah.
1: It, Exodus. I'm not going to lie, it's
0: pretty bad. Yes. They start off they start off completely naked. Uh which yes. which was like I think there is no doubt in my mind that that show was kind of maybe the start of furries because <laughs> you get you get what every I'm not saying furries are wrong. You whatever you're into right. is what you're into. But like yeah. and and Chitara is a sexual being from the 80s kids shows for sure. And mm-hmm. here you get her naked and it's just like damn
1: well the, and it's weird because it's it's naked but it's like barbie and kendall yeah, naked. yes yes like, it's completely like Ken. they have no genitals whatsoever <laughs> yeah there's no definition in, i mean it looks like they're already wearing the leotard yes but there's fur instead of instead of whatever their their leotard yeah
0: is. and uh, they, they get these magic clothes because jaga says well the planet we're going to likes clothes so you should probably all have clothes
1: <laughs> well and it, it says like you're going to need these protective yeah, clothing protective but what they're clothing. wearing is just like the leotard is where there's like, not much not kid. much protection yeah. with
0: those things on
1: yes and then they get their weapons yeah yeah the first episode just definitely does not <laughs> hold up um Cause you know, he's, you get this kind of, he's like a whiny little kid and
0: yeah. Oh yeah. It was he, really annoying to see him as a kid. I, I, right. I, I mean, I'm glad that it was just like for the first half of the first episode because that wasn't the Lion-O that I knew.
1: Right. Well, and it, it's weird because like the whole reason he's like, why?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, it made why- no sense.
1: It made no sense that they had to do it this way. There was there was no reason why the stasis pods that they, yes. they get into, and, and if if you're not familiar with the the sort of the origin, they're from I cannot remember I think what the it, name of the planet. Is it was. Thundera? Yeah, Thundera. They're from the planet Thundera, and they're in a spaceship. And as they're they're there, they witness Thundera being destroyed, or they mm-hmm. they get word that it's been destroyed, and they get attacked by. The, the evil factions of, I forget who they are.
0: The mutants, is that what they call them? Oh, yeah, they just See, reverted them They just kids. call them the mutants, which is stupid because they look exactly like the Thundercats do. Just, yes, just different, different animals. animals. <laughs> just different animals. So what, how are yes. they mutants?
1: So they're prejudiced against anyone who's not a cat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, not a cat, yeah.
1: And then they put them in a pot. I mean, it's very reminiscent of sort of Superman.
0: Mm. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Okay, this has been destroyed. Now we've got to get you guys off. And yeah. The the sort of the oh god, what's Superman's father's name? Is it Jarrell Yeah, Jarrell it, it's sort of a sort you have a sort of a Jarrell figure in Jaga, mm-hmm. who is the older Thundercat who stays behind and they put your main Thundercats, which you have, you know, Lion O, mm-hmm. Tigra, Chatara, Panthro, Snark. And then, snarf. Um, snarf, 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 Sorry, snarf, I mean, snarf, <laughs> snarf, snarf, uh, snarf, and um,
0: Wile, yeah, Wily Kit, Wily Cat. Yeah,
1: puts them in these pods and sends them off, and tells them that even though it's a stasis pod, you know you will age a little bit, which is
0: bullshit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is not a true stasis. Because bug.
0: it only aged Lion O. It aged no one else. Wily Kit and Cat yeah. are children and they stay children.
1: Yes, it made no sense why Lion O had to start as a kid.
0: It also makes it creepier because doesn't Chitara, who is already an adult doesn't she become a love interest later on in the show
1: and then at the end of the first episode she even says you know what a specimen you've turned into (laughs) it gives a new meaning to the word cougar yes absolutely cats yes but it 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 is a little it's a little weird and thankfully it just happens in the first episode Uh, yeah Uh, it just seems very unnecessary you know and there's there's hints of things like star wars where you know Jaga comes, well, and even really sort of Jarrell
0: yeah. in Superman, yes.
1: where Jaga comes back as a form. I hate he's that. Like, I'm always with you. I hate that.
0: Super yeah. in, in, I'm okay with it in Star Wars for some reason. I hate that in the Superman movies. Jarrell putting himself in the crystals so he can talk to Superman as he's an adult. I think is stupid. It's a terrible, stupid right. trope. And. <laughs> I think it's honestly pretty stupid with Jaga here too. Uh yeah. yeah.
1: But and then I watched uh, the second episode, which is our first introduction to the main mm. bad guy throughout the series, which is Mumra. Oh, badass. He morphs when he goes into battle a little bit. Yes.
0: Which I think um, I think that's kind of weird. Uh, I don't I don't understand yeah. that really. Like there's a lot of unnecessary things like that where he's a weak frail mystical mummy and then he turns into like this scary huge muscled guy right. later.
1: Which is kind of like it's sort of shades of He Man, but oh, the yeah. wrong side. Yes, uh, where he seems maybe seems weak and frail, but then becomes powerful. But that is, I don't know that almost to me doesn't make sense for an antagonist, mm-hmm. unless everyone is like that. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, I do, I will say that the the series got better, like mm-hmm. most series do when they do it for a while. Yeah. The, the later couple, uh, the later episode I watched did seem much better, and. Uh, you know some of the things that didn't I didn't like about the first few episodes is sort of the way Lion-O talked, mm. sort of like I am the prince of
0: yes he Thundera, was a cocky bastard early yeah. on yeah like he's in yeah. like he's entitled entitled to his to, as the leader he didn't earn being the leader of the Thundercats he was entitled to it and that was pretty annoying right.
1: Well, and and you know I don't understand how he didn't he wasn't so mad at being cheated out of his childhood. Yeah, true. Because he went from being a kid to a man. Yeah, and didn't get to be a kid, and so maybe they're playing on that at the beginning where mm-hmm. he's he's a kid in a man's body because mm-hmm. he didn't get to be that because he's still a kid in his head. But to me, it didn't make any sense. Didn't really work. Didn't do anything for the story. You know, especially as a kid, you're watching this. Yeah, but um, I think it gets better. Mm-hmm. So if you went back and. If you really needed to be one of those people who needed to see all of the story, even though, I mean, there's there's an arc, but it's very episodic. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's every every episode.
0: I watched one where they meet a town of robot bears. Uh, not a very yes. good. Is it was, it was episode three? I think I didn't really like that episode all that yeah. much
1: also seemed very reminiscent of star wars yeah yes i sort exactly that's the,
0: fir- the first shot i was like oh did they meet ewoks and then like oh wait no they're robot ewoks
1: it's kind of like the director wants, listen i want ewoks but you gotta <laughs> change him up oh i'll make them a
0: robot yes but yeah it's definitely they solve everything you know in a nice neat little package pretty much except for mom Ra, who is the and and some of the other antagonists jackal man and yeah. vulture man and et cetera. Et cetera. but yeah. like yeah, they they solve everything each each episode.
1: Yeah, uh, the animation's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's
0: early '80s animation. Um, Watching it again, just seeing how much of the episode is actually the intro, uh-huh. which is probably ninety percent of why people love Thundercats in their head for yes. their nostalgia. Is that song is so good? That song mm-hmm. is so badass. Like it just you start it up, and people who watched it as they're kids, they will start singing it with you. Yes. Such a fun, just way to get into the into the show. And,
1: and something that I don't I don't really know that you get anymore today um, is a lot of really important or sort of well known intros. Yeah, I, you know you have some. I would say that everyone and their mother knows the intro to SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, yeah. And maybe if you know maybe a few others, but. You know, mostly you don't really pay a lot of attention to sort of the opening songs Mm -hmm. of a lot of these shows anymore. I mean, you do with some. To say that it wouldn't happen with anything would be, you know, would be disingenuous of me. But you know, that's a a lot of what everyone remembers is like the intros and the theme songs, mostly. And because most of the time the intros were a lot longer. Yes, big time in the eighties. Yeah, than they are now. So, uh, what was your sort of thought on the overall show?
0: From what I rewatched one I wanted to punch Snarf in the face I hated that character watching him again as an adult he was just so whiny and so annoying yes I know they actually have and I think it's rated as one of the best Thundercats episodes is when Snarf kind of is a hero uh, I can't remember the name of it But in general, that character just pisses me off. Yeah. This is not a show I would go back and rewatch as an adult. I would probably have, you know, kids watch it, but I would not want to spend the time rewatching this show.
1: I pretty much agree. I I, after watching a few episodes again, you know, it was great when I was a kid. Doesn't really hold up for me now. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy kind of enjoyed the characters. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't enough to really go back. And, and I have not watched the the new one, so no. I can't say anything about how good or bad that one is. But as far as, yeah, as far as the other one, I would say probably not.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably not. But um, that theme song, but that damn theme song is <laughs> that like, I, song, I, would, yes. I, I have it on a playlist of theme of different awesome theme songs on my iPod that I just play. Like I play that all the time.
1: Definitely something they got right
0: and even even watching that intro as an adult gets me excited yes but just just watching the show doesn't get me excited
1: right i know i know it's weird because they they did some things right they have the theme song's good that sort of iconic symbol of the red circle with the black yeah
0: the sword growing the The, eye of uh, eye of thundera
1: yeah oh
0: yeah and then yeah the the panther logo was awesome logo yes
1: everyone knows that oh thundercats
0: yep boom So that is Thundercats. And now we're going to go into our segment where we recast things. And we're actually going to recast Thundercats.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes when we do this, it'll be... If it's something that we're t- we've talked about in the episode that we feel like we could recast or could be recast or redone for things, we'll do it. And sometimes we'll do it things that have not been turned into mm-hmm. movies, uh, a comic book or a book that we, we'd like to see cast into it. I felt that, you know, if we were going to, especially in an age now or in a day where they're doing live action versions of animated stuff Everything. all the time. Yep. We just had Beauty of the Beast. We had the Jungle Book. There's a bunch more of the stuff coming up. I think they they announced The Little Mermaids coming out in live action. All different kinds of stuff. So I, I did this thinking of if we were going to recast it for a live action yeah. movie, yeah. now uh, I'm, it would probably involve a lot of CGI, oh, heavy,
0: heavy CGI, for heavy sure. Heavy CGI, but
1: that was my thought behind it was that it was it is actually going to be yep. a live action version of the Thundercats. So we kind of just stuck with mostly the main characters.
0: And I want to throw out uh, our kind of rules for this one. We have no budget. We have no like oh you have to you can only have certain amount of big stars. We're just like, eh, wh- whoever we want and we think is right for the role.
1: What's the ideal yes. casting for this? I kind of stuck with the characters for the, kind of the original or the first episode because yeah. you're obviously in a movie, you're going to have to retell the origin because that's just the way it works.
0: Maybe s- skip the child part.
1: <laughs> I know. You're going to have your Jaga yeah. in there. You're going to have that guy. So I just stuck with Jaga, Lionel, uh, Tigra, Chitara, Panthro, Snarf, and Mumra.
0: Okay, no, not Wily Kit, Wily
1: I didn't do Wily Kit or Wily Cat. Okay, I did. I did a Wily... I'll
0: give you mine when, when when we go through them.
1: Okay. Okay, so let's start with Jaga. Okay. Who was really only in the... You know, mostly just in the first episode. Yeah, and then his
0: ghost kind of keeps appearing.
1: Yeah. You know, you have to looking at the character... I went with Patrick Stewart.
0: I oh, also went with Patrick Stewart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's a perfect because call. He, he's the per Yes. First of all, that voice... If it, if I'm gonna have to keep seeing this character that I'm not really that interested come back, I want it to be someone who I find interesting, yeah, and who is interesting to listen to, and just kind of looking at the drawing of the character and I, you know, I did think Ian McKellen a little bit, but I was like, you know what? It's it's got to be Patrick it's Stewart. Patrick,
0: yeah, oh yeah,
1: it's got to be Patrick Stewart. Yep. So that's who I went with for Jaga.
0: With every other character, I put like a couple different options for Jaga. Only Patrick Stewart. That's all I have written yeah. down. I was like, it has to <laughs> yeah. be him
1: especially since that character is going to come back and it's maybe not necessarily a character I'm interested in because mm-hmm. it doesn't play that big of a part. But if it's
0: Patrick Stewart, I would be interested in Jaga.
1: Yes, absolutely. I would exactly. listen
0: to his advice.
1: So Tigra, which is kind of the tiger looking guy who has, uh, I forget what is his weapon. Is he, he's, is he the, uh, the bolo
0: whip, this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Bolo whip. yeah. Um, he was, this was a really tough one for me because he's like, he's like the side character of, of all of yes. the Thundercats. He is the least dynamic. So I wasn't sure.
1: I agree. I agree. He was. He was one. It were. He's one where it almost doesn't matter who gets put into that. Yeah. Going through kind of in my head, different actors who I who I think would maybe kind of look the part. Mm-hmm. I actually ended up going with Charlie Hunnam. Oh, okay.
0: I get to Charlie from Hunnam. Sons of
1: Anarchy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's a, he's a presence. I liked him in Pacific Rim, he, even though the movie. Could, you know, mm-hmm. some people are gonna like it, some people will hate it. I I just thought he was a decent fit. Not enough of a unique look
0: mm-hmm. to kind
1: of take over the scene Definitely. that he's in. But someone who could probably handle the action scenes that would be required of it. Agreed. Um, and would do, a, and would do a, a good enough job. So who was your yeah. pick? Uh,
0: so from what I know about Tigra, uh, is I think he's uh, he's kind of like a behind-the-scenes kind of Thundercat. who's also mostly kind of calm and collected. Uh, so I went with Liev Schreiber. I think okay. I like Liev Schreiber <clears throat> as a great actor. Also, I love his voice. Like, I think he's one of the best yeah. documentary voices right now. He's the voice of HBO Sports. I just I'm a big fan of him. And I think for like kind of like that calm kind of guy who also can do action, mm-hmm. has a good body and a good look for it. I went with uh, Liev Schreiber.
1: You know what? I- when you said that my first hat my uh, my first thought is, is is maybe he's a little older so like a younger leif schreiber would have been good yeah. but you know what if they're going to do this CGI yeah it doesn't then matter it almost does it almost doesn't but, matter but
0: also like all of the other ones are older than lino so like it kind of makes yes. sense to me i think leif could could be okay
1: yes okay this was a tough one this next one this mm-hmm. is we're going to do chitara okay it's the only girl
0: yeah well, besides so, Wiley, well,
1: Wiley kid, but Wiley kid's supposed to be a little kid. So, yeah. you know, uh, I went back and forth in my head of, do we do looks versus acting? Cause I mean, it's another one where she's, you know, Lionel's is the main guy. Yeah. So these are side people and, and obviously we possible
0: love interest. If it was like in a yeah, big movie, it's going to be a love interest for Lionel. It's going to be
1: a love interest, but there's also going to have to be action. Mm-hmm. So I thought I went back and forth. I wanted to say Amelia Clark, but in, in, mm. in, in my head, I just, like, you know what? She just wouldn't be right for the role. Yeah. So I actually went with Sophia Butella, who was, she, did you see The Kingsman? Yes. She was the girl with the sword legs. Okay, cool. Who was also in The Mummy, the, the recent mm-hmm. Tom Cruise, um, uh, unfortunate. <laughs> Which remake. I did not see. I did. She played The Mummy. I like her as an action star. Okay. She did really well in The Kingsman. And I actually liked her acting, too, in The Kingsman, not just her action. So I thought that... She, uh, and you're seeing her more and more in movies now, so uh, I cannot remember where she's from. I don't think she's from the US. But her, you know, I think she could do a really good job of, with the action sequences, um, and she could be made to look the part. She also played, if you saw the most recent Star Trek movie star trek beyond um she played i forget the name of the character but she played the the alien that was like all white
0: okay yeah, yeah. i've seen pictures of that one Yeah, yes
1: so she and she she's really good job in that too so she's
0: good with makeup yeah
1: so yeah so that that's sort of proof of concept there she does good with makeup mm-hmm. so if you, you put a little bit of practical effect on her yeah um she would do well or stuff so that was that was my pick for chitara
0: I went with someone similar who has some proof of concept, is good with makeup, and good with action. I thought Zoe Saldana would be a good choice. She's got the she's got the look.
1: Yes, she does. And that was someone I also considered, yeah. too, was Zoe Saldana.
0: Um, yeah, she would be a, a good lover. She's already done love interesty kind of things in this similar kind of role. Um, another person who kind of came to my mind, who I thought, if you're going to go with Chitara as being a little bit older, but also still very femme fatale, uh, Charlize Theron. Oh, yeah. I thought... Her t- the two of them would be kind of either one, I'm not sure. I kind of couldn't decide. Because if they are going to go with Chichara as being a little bit older, kind of how the rest of them are compared to Lionel, then I think I like Charlize Theron a lot. But I think mm-hmm. Zoe Saldana would be a great choice as well.
1: Yeah, I could see. I you know what? Each Either, either of them would have... Mm-hmm. Benefits to the character, and um, they're both great actresses. So that wouldn't that part wouldn't be wouldn't be a and they've both been in action movies. So yeah, yeah, that would be that would almost just sort of be a a preference call on that Mm -hmm. one. Definitely the next one, which I know was kind of tough for me to figure out. Uh, was panthro
0: okay see i feel like a panther is easy all
1: right well i want to actually want to hear who you went with okay. first to see if it so matches with who i went i
0: wrote three ne- three names down okay i wrote down vin diesel i wrote down terry cruz and i wrote down who the person who even though he is way older i still think he is perfect for the part michael clark duncan i think panthro is michael clark duncan and michael clark duncan is panthro unfortunately he's dead oh that's right <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, I totally I forgot that he's dead. Okay.
1: You you don't want to think about that he's dead Oh, because he's such a good actor. Damn it. Yeah. Yes, that would have that would have been someone I would have gone to too. Oh man, all right. That he was a, then
0: then my backup I think is probably gonna be Terry Crews. Okay. he's big and menacing. Uh he you know he might add a little bit more. Comedy to the panthro that we know instead, but right. um, he boy does he got the look, uh, and I, I think did, yeah. he could play he could play like the mechanic guy for sure. So I, that's my choice.
1: You know what? I I like your choice. I might like your choice better than mine. Mm. I did consider Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. I went back and forth because if you watch the show, they're all kind of the same height. Maybe was a little bit taller, mm-hmm. but I I don't know. I was concerned that maybe Vin Diesel was because I know he's a little bit shorter. Yeah. That he would be a little short, So I actually went with Dwayne Johnson. Oh, okay. Who would also kind of bring the comedy. I'll be honest though, I kind of like your Terry Crews a little bit better. Yeah, I think he might be a little bit better suited for the role. And
0: yeah, for a supporting role, Terry Crews is perfect in that kind of spot.
1: Yes, and could bring a little bit of, of comedy to the character. Definitely has the look.
0: Panthro is like... He- he's always felt bigger and stronger than everyone else. Yes. And Terry Crews obviously has that. He
1: needs to have a bulky look. Yeah. Definitely for sure. And not that I can't see, you know, Dwayne Johnson playing a mechanic, but I can definitely see Terry Crews mm-hmm. kind of being that sort of almost Mr. T character. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who, who was the mechanic in the A team. Definitely you know, being that. All right. Now for the one that I'm sure uh, was most annoying to you. <laughs>
0: uh, Snarf. Snarf fuck snarf Um <laughs> he's so stupid. Uh so
1: who I I would imagine we, it would be completely CGI and yes. just talking voice at this. And point. that's
0: why I thought Andy Circus would be a great one, but I didn't ultimately go with him. Um okay. Andy Circus would be great cuz he's great in all of those kind of things, but I think and I would love Snarf if he was voiced and done by Patton Oswalt. Ooh. That's who I my pick is Patton Oswalt.
1: I like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I like that one a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, my choice, like, I had a hard time picking this one. Um, Cause I think personally, I think that people who are, who are most known as voice actors Get the shaft. Oh yeah! anytime a big movie comes out that needs voice acting, because they always go with people who are known, mm-hmm. and for reasons that baffle me. <laughs> and, and to be fair, it was kind of ruined by by Robin Williams in in Aladdin. Yeah,
0: yeah, he started he kind of all became, of that
1: when he saw all of that. Because, uh, and I'll give you an example. I was unfortunately dragged to see the latest alvin and the chipmunks <laughs> oh, you by my kids poor poor man S- yeah several know, however months ago it came out, i don't even remember what it was called but i remember looking at the list of the actors doing the voice now mind you there's heavy modification for their voice to do the chipmunks there's no way for you to tell mm-hmm. that that's who they are and in my head i'm thinking Why on earth would you pay these actors who probably got more than scale Mm -hmm. to do it just to have their name, you know, just so the studio could put their name on air to say, I think like one of the girl chipmunks was Kaylee Cuoco from Big Bang Theory. Okay. Yeah. You would never know. No. You would never know because they modified the voice. And in my head, I'm like, you know what? That's a job that could have gone to a voice actor who does this sort of thing all the time. Because I can tell you this, no kid cares no child cares who's doing the voice
0: no absolutely very
1: rarely is is a kid gonna be compared. you know it's to the kids it's, it's the story good yeah and even as an adult to me is is the story good i don't care if someone does the voice of something especially if it's a re- if especially if it's a remake of or a movie version of something that kids are already watching yeah like there, a lot of times the kids are gonna be like, "Why is the voice different?" Definitely. Other than the, you know, if it was a if it was a movie made from a cartoon series, that obviously you know these big actors are not doing the series, no. But they'll do the movie, and it's like, well, it doesn't sound the same.
0: No, yeah, absolutely. No, I for me, if it's an animated Batman, it better be Kevin Conroy, and if it's an animated <laughs> Joker, it better be Mark Hamill. Like if it's <laughs> if they are animated in any other aspect, like, maybe. Yeah, no, because even in Batman Beyond, they use I think they use Kevin Conroy as the old man. Maybe they don't. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember. But it, I will say yeah. I
1: will say this though. I
0: thought because um, I've seen some of the other Batman's ones. Um,
1: uh, I think it was uh, the the Red Hood.
0: Mm, that's that's that some is people. a good movie. Yeah, that
1: I, one, um, which I think was actually John DiMaggio. Oh, okay who's best known as Bender yeah. from Futurama. <laughs> he did the Joker in that one. I thought he did a good job. Yeah. But t- see, to me, like the voice, if I was honest with myself for for Snarf, getting back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about for Snarf, I could just as easily go with a good voice actor like a D. Bradley Baker or a mm. Frank Welker. D. Bradley Baker and Frank Welker actually are mostly known for being able to do <laughs> any sort of inanimate or animal sound. Okay. D. Bradley Baker... Known for a couple of things. He did Hans the Fish in American Dad. Oh, okay. But he also, if you've ever seen the the kids' show Phineas and Ferb, he does the voice of a platypus. Okay. So he just makes a noise. But he's really good at that sort of thing. Uh, Frank Welker, also known for doing a lot of animal sounds. But he's been the voice of Fred from Scooby-Doo since the original. Oh, wow. So since the Casey Kasem, he's been he's still doing the voice of Fred. Yeah. But Frank Welker's a legend in the, in the VO world. But knowing that it's Hollywood. Yeah. Knowing what, and I'll be honest with you, I think I like your pick better.
0: You know who I would guarantee uh, Hollywood would go with, just because he's he plays the small annoying guy in everything now is Kevin Hart. (laughs) If it was Hollywood, (laughs) Hollywood would put Kevin freaking Hart in as Snarf. But and I could totally see that happening. But I like, I think Patton Oswalt is uh, would be a really good one in my opinion.
1: Yeah. The actor I actually ended up going with was just uh, because I've heard him talk in that high annoying voice mm-hmm. was Will Wheaton.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. I bet he could do it.
1: I think he could. Pro- I mean, he could probably do it. You're probably right. Hollywood would probably go with, like, a Kevin <laughs> yeah. Hart, or they could probably go with uh, Patton Oswalt as well. Um, I think I like your pick better as mm-hmm. far as that. But Will Wheaton um, being—I
0: mean, he would bring, you know, a, a love, because you know he probably watched Thundercats just like us. Oh, yeah. and he would And he would bring something yeah. fun to snarf that other people wouldn't.
1: And he himself does a lot of VO work. Yeah. He does a, he's does. he been on a lot of cartoons, so I didn't— I, I'm sure he could do the thing. All right, so we got a couple uh, left in this so, one. So but
0: yeah, before we j- jump into the two biggest, I'll go ahead and give me you my Wily Kit Wiley Cat. Okay. Wiley Cat? I, I he's the the male of the two kids. I really had a tough time. I don't know a whole bunch of young male actors. I ended up going with Chandler Riggs who plays Coral Coral! Coral. (laughs) in Walking Dead Uh, mainly because Wily Kit and Wiley Cat are the next most annoying characters after Snarf and (laughs) and 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 Coral is really fucking annoying Um, so I'm just like eh Okay, fine. But honestly, that's a throwaway one. I, I couldn't think of anyone good for Wiley Cat. Wiley Kit, I really like my choice. I went with Daphne Keen, who played X-23 in Logan. Oh! I think she, I mean, she's she's got the youth. She's done action stuff before. She's kind of got like that lean look to her. I think she would make a good call.
1: Yeah, I'd buy that. i totally buy that. All right, and I, I didn't pick anyone for those two. I just, those were kind of thorough. I I could see them doing this movie without those two characters. Yeah,
0: they are unneeded.
1: Uh, completely unnecessary. Okay, so now we've got our big bad and our big hero. Yes.
0: Mumra. Yeah, this is tough.
1: A throwback to someone you mentioned before for another character, I actually went with Andy Circus. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Because I think he's he can play the menacing character mm-hmm. if you've seen him uh if you've seen any of the promos for black panther or even if you you know if you saw avengers uh, 2 he has a physical presence yeah he can oh, be yeah. the character so and and you know he can do he can do that menacing voice so i you know and I, honestly he could just kind of talk as a menacing version of himself he wouldn't have to do anything too crazy i and plus he's an incredible actor yes absolutely so I my pick for Mumra was Andy Circus. Yeah,
0: I think I I definitely like Andy Circus better than the ones that I had because yeah he he can do absolutely everything and anything. Uh, He can he could be the you know more physical tiny uh, mummy, but with that raspy scary voice. Right. And then if he could just change things up in his voice a little bit, and then you know with some CGI, be that hulking intimidating yeah. guy as well and
1: you know they'd probably do a lot of these especially mum if, if yeah it's sort of the the, the mummy look at these. they'd probably do it in motion capture yeah. which is something yeah. he's, he'd be he's already incredible yep. at
0: yeah so uh so yeah he'd be great uh the guy i went with also has done some great villains so i think he would kind of be a decent fit i put hugo weaving oh okay i'd buy that i like andy circus better so i definitely like your call but um, yeah, I thought, I mean, Hugo Weaving has a great voice. He could probably do something to make it. He's more of like, a little bit more of a heroic voice, but he did the Red Skull, and his Red Skull was pretty cool, so I, I liked him, but yeah, if we're going Dream World, yeah, Andy Serkis would be about um, Raw.
1: Okay. Now, the one that I actually had the hardest time with.
0: Okay. I had the easiest time, I think.
1: Uh, Lion-O, our hero.
0: I'll go first, because you had, you probably have the better thought out one or what for me mainly is because of Hollywood. I just immediately thought of someone that you thought of for Panthro Dwayne the rock Johnson. I mean, that was, that was a, (laughs) the rock is such a big Hollywood star right now that like he is a leading man. He's got the height, he's got the build, he's got action. I don't know if I really want him as Lionel, honestly, Mm -hmm. but I feel like Hollywood would, would get him. Uh, so I wanted to throw out another name who I think actually would be better in the part, especially if you kind of tie in the history of Lino being the young leader of the right. Thundercats. Yes. And for that, I went with somebody who's got a fantastic build. He's done some action. Is Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Even though I, I have The Rock as like you know my Hollywood choice, if I had to pick, and especially if you tie in, he is the young leader and that kind of stuff, I, I threw out Michael B. Jordan. I think he would be pretty awesome.
1: Okay, cool. I had a really hard time with this one. This was the one I had the most difficult time. And I I have, I ended up with two names Mm -hmm. and they're completely different because in, you know, in the, especially in the origin story, he is young. So I I have two guys who actually kind of are opposites. They don't really look the same. Mm -hmm. The first one I went with was Taron Egerton.
0: Oh yeah. Also from the Kingsman.
1: Just because I, I like him as an actor. I like him as, as a as an action guy, you know, also I went with Taron because he's a little bit younger than the other guys. Mm-hmm. And, and lion is supposed to be a little bit younger than the yeah. rest of them. Although without having seen the first episode, yeah, you almost, known. you almost don't get that, <laughs> that feeling. Yeah. It almost feels like the only one older than him is Panthro. Yeah. But the other guy I went with is, is someone who's kind of big right now. And that's Jason Momoa.
0: Oh yeah, I like him. That's a good call.
1: You know, I mean, almost because his hair just looks like a mane, and <laughs> <laughs> that he could be—he would all—he could probably almost be maybe a better one mm-hmm. than Taron Egerton.
0: Yeah, I, I like I like Momoa better than Egerton.
1: I think I like Egerton a little bit better okay. as far as some of the. A- well, I just like him as far as acting. Yeah, and maybe Egerton could play the young one and Momoa, but although they don't look anything no. <laughs> um But I, I probably the more likely one would be Jason. McCarthy. Yeah, but that was my pick there for for Lionel I like, I like that call but no I think this was good I like that we both got Patrick Stewart yeah that was also the only one <laughs> yes I picked for that character because it was the only one I could see yeah and some definitely some, some good uh, working out of stuff for that so I, I really yeah. enjoy that that portion of it it's fun just to kind of imagine you know in a perfect world if we could see the movie version or a movie remake of something that we really really like what would we want to see on the screen
0: and I'm sorry I forgot Michael Clark Duncan was dead <laughs> Rest whoops peace. yeah uh <laughs> That concludes the first episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast. Please join us next time where we review the 1993 classic The Sandlot, discuss the show DuckTales, and cast the Marvel Canadian superhero team Alpha Flight. If you have
1: any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at blast past cast on both facebook and twitter so until next time i'm john and i'm adam and thanks for joining us see you next time